Welcome back to Buddhist Solutions for Life's Problems, where we talk about how to use SGI Nichiren Buddhism to navigate daily life. I'm Jihi Jolly, and this episode was produced based on a number of requests we've had from listeners in the last few weeks to address the global pandemic of COVID-19. I'll be honest, this was a really hard one to write. We usually start each episode with a specific problem we're trying to use Buddhism to solve. But with COVID-19, even defining the problem was hard because there are just so many questions. Here are a few that I've heard from friends and family in the past two weeks. Why is this happening? Will I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? Should I go to the doctor to get tested if I'm feeling sick? How long should I quarantine for? Should I postpone my wedding? Should I visit my family or stay away? Is our healthcare system going to be able to handle this? When will it end? What do I say to friends who are paralyzed by anxiety? Should I admit that I too am overwhelmed? What is going back to normal even look like? I could go on and on, but since there is just too much to address, I decided to go to the root of it all and address the following two questions. One, what does Buddhism say about global crises, why they happen, and how to stop them from happening in the future? And two, what can I do right now to generate hope and take the best action for myself, my family, and my community? I called up four people to help me through these questions. Two good friends who practice Buddhism, Jenny and Nathan, and two Buddhist experts, Kevin and Naoko, who helped me break some of this down. Because I'm in New York and like much of the country and world working from home, all of today's interviews have been recorded by phone by people who are also stuck at home. The person that had coronavirus uh, at our school that had contracted coronavirus, like I shared a room with. So it was like a little nerve wracking in that sense. Like, oh, do I have it? Like, do I have to check? But um, I think I immediately just followed the same guidelines that have been shared as like, stay in your home, monitor your symptoms. Do you have any symptoms? Be really aware. Don't interact with other people. And I felt like, okay, I can do that, you know, for the well-being of everybody else and myself. It was like, it was okay, but it was pretty scary. That's one of my best friends, Jenny, who's a special education teacher in Chicago. Where she lives, people started preparing for social isolation weeks ago, stocking up on food, preparing to work from home, and following the news closely. And then a teacher in her school was tested positive for the virus. The threads that were going around within all of like the teachers' networks were like, who was it? Like trying to like figure out who the person was. And I was like, that's not necessarily the most important at this point. Like we just want to make sure that we're following the right guidelines so it doesn't further spread. A few weeks later, her school, which is on the south side of Chicago, became the second in her district to shut down until further notice. And like so many teachers across the country, she's struggling with connecting with her students online, who already tend to shut down when stressed due to social and emotional challenges. Some of our teachers are asking like, well, where's that assignment? Where's this? And they're like, I'm freaking out right now. Like, I'm not dealing with this. And they'll like hang up. So it's like, how do I? And that was the moment. Like, I know those in, that sense in the behavior, like those kinds of like shutdown behaviors. But that's why it was so great to be able to do it face to face in person. When I was like, hey, I know this is feeling I get, but like, I can't even get to that point because like the immediate click off, I'm like, shoot. And if I like keep trying to recall, it's like block, block, block. So I'm like, how can I, you know, like, how can I be this great teacher without 
being able to be with them face to face. Today's what, March 25th, so a month ago, this still felt like something uh, distant. Um, I think the implications of what this could mean for our society where we live weren't really clear yet. That's my friend Nathan, who lives in East L.A. and has been searching for a job since January, before any of this really felt like it started in the U.S. And so I was, I was trying to keep like a rhythm of going out and searching for jobs eight hours a day, more or less. And so even then, like as the panic was starting to set in, I was still maintaining that rhythm of leaving the house, uh, going out, you know, looking for jobs, going to coffee shops to search online, and then... Um, stopping by different places to inquire about open opportunities. Until last year, he was at a job where he was severely overworked, but needed to keep it to support his family. Then, shortly after the birth of his second child, he was laid off. Um, my father lost his job the day that I was born. And we actually ended up being homeless for about six months. For many, many, many months... I think fear was really at the center of my life. Being so stressed out that I couldn't sleep at night, waking up in the middle of the night, just like in cold sweats, not knowing you know what's gonna happen. Um, just waking up every morning being an intense, intense process. I, I think I realized that that fear was essentially something I maybe inherited uh, karmically <laughs> as a member of my family and at the same time, something which I was entrusted to change fundamentally. We'll get into what he means by that a little bit later. But I wanted to introduce his and Jenny's stories, because talking to them made me realize that the things we are experiencing now, or at least the way they feel in our daily lives, fear, uncertainty, anxiety, anger, exhaustion, are not unique to this circumstance. These are feelings that are inside of us all the time. Now, we're experiencing them all at once, very quickly, and as entire communities. Which is why I want to begin today's episode with understanding what Buddhism says about pandemics. Because surprisingly, it says a lot. Let's start with the first question. Why is this happening? During the time of Nichiren Daishonin, who created the practice of chanting Nam-myo Ho-renge-kyo, which is the crux of what SGI Nichiren Buddhists do on a daily basis, Epidemics were rampant. In many of his letters to disciples, which, besides the Lotus Sutra, are the key texts of Nichiren Buddhism and the basis for the writings of modern Buddhist philosophers like Daisaku Ikeda, he specifically talks about epidemics. So I called up Kevin Moncrief, who's currently a Buddhist leader in SGI USA, to understand the history better. One thing is interesting to note in the history of uh, the the, of Nichiren Daishonin's time, for example, um, in Japanese history, um, they changed the name of an era based on disasters or the change of, uh, let's say, the emperor. Um, in the period between 1256 and 1260, um, the, the eras were changed five times. And during that time were epidemics. You know, this is a pandemic we're dealing with, which is global because we can travel around the world. But imagine if you lived in a local country uh, like the island of Japan, this is like that kind of a catastrophe for you. Right. So there were multiple epidemics. And in those in their cases, they actually had, you know, dead people in the streets and just really horrific things happening, as well as 
fires which broke out and you know the dwellings were made of wood so whenever a fire broke out uh, in Kamakura which had happened a dozen or so times there wasn't a fire department to roll up and put it out literally people lost many many homes many people were just lost everything and so so uh, then there was also internal rebellion there was uh, people fighting each other division you know political and social unrest so it was very very tumultuous times very unpleasant and uh, a key writing out of that was a correct teaching for establishing the peace of the land, which is the Lotus Sutra, this great teaching of Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. That letter, a treatise titled On Establishing the Correct Teaching for the Peace of the Land, which he wrote to remonstrate against the government of his time, is an epic, profound text that clearly lays out what causes disaster and how to remedy it. Here's some context from Ikeda. The great earthquake of the Shoka era which struck the Kamakura area in August 1257, was the event that directly spurred Nichiren Daishonin to write on establishing the correct teaching for the peace of the land. Even before this devastating earthquake, the country had experienced a series of natural disasters, including destructive winds and floods, in addition to severe famine and epidemics, with no end in sight to the people's suffering. Witnessing their terrible plight, the Daishonin says, filled him with deep pain and frustration, having no one with whom he could share his sorrow and grief. He writes, I have been brooding alone upon this matter, indignant in my heart. The Daishonin looked unflinchingly at the condition of society. He was driven by an earnest wish to free people from suffering and a fierce determination to clarify and put an end to the one evil at the root of people's misery. This led him to search through the Buddhist scriptures to find the cause of and remedy for the suffering he witnessed. The conclusion he reached was that the fundamental cause of the country's turmoil was slander of the law, the rejection of the Lotus Sutra, which teaches respect for life and all human beings. He became profoundly convinced that the only ultimate solution was to firmly establish in the heart of each person the correct Buddhist teaching that could serve as the pillar underpinning society. As I read more, I also learned that Nichiren explains that the root cause of the three calamities of warfare, pestilence, and famine are the three poisons, which are greed, anger, and foolishness. Here is Naoko Leslie, currently women's leader of SGI-USA, who helped me understand what that means. This is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I memorize the three poisons, but to explain is difficult. So, yes, uh, so the three poisons are greed, anger, and foolishness. Uh, foolishness can be ignorance. And Nichiren Daishonin described in one of his treatises uh, that how, you know, during his time in the early 13th century Japan, there were uh, countless disasters including major earthquakes, pestilence, famine, drought, extreme climate, etc., etc. And he taught that in an age when people's life force weakens, the three poisons become rampant and such disasters and calamities takes place. When those things are really high, high level, then there are consequences to those things. And so a Chinese uh, expert on the Lotus Sutra, uh, Tiantai, uh, spoke of this very specifically. He says, because anger increases in intensity, strife of arms occurs. Because greed increases in intensity, famine arises. Because foolishness increases in intensity, 
pestilence breaks out. That's from the orally transmitted teachings on page 33. When we talk about pestilence, that is what we're experiencing with this pandemic or an epidemic if it's not worldwide. He refers to how the three calamities ar arise owing to the prevalence of the three poisons and how these calamities then go on to intensify the three poisons in people's lives, thereby creating a vicious, never-ending cycle that leads to the age itself becoming polluted and degenerate. Kevin then went on to point out a text from 2011 in which Ikeda specifically explains how epidemics are caused by the poison of foolishness. He writes, It's certainly true that even today, in spite of remarkable advances in scientific knowledge, many illnesses still spread because of our ignorance of their causes. Others spread because though their causes have been identified, no effective treatment has been found. And in still other cases, the cause may be known and proven ways of preventing or treating the disease may exist, but disasters in the form of epidemics nevertheless occur because the proper steps cannot be taken due to economic or cultural reasons. And in some instances, the scope of an epidemic is exacerbated by the folly of people thinking of profit. So Tiantai's teachings also speak of a reward or pure land and not to view it as a realm of separate from the impure land. And he says, as the Dashonin says, there are not two lands, pure or impure in themselves. The difference lies solely in the good or evil of our minds. So this, in fact, is the way forward. In other words, as we begin to counter our own tendencies toward the three poisons, greed, anger, and foolishness, and begin to bring out wisdom, compassion, courage, those things, and begin to unite with others for shared victory over these ills, that's the way out. While I didn't find it very difficult to understand and accept that these are the principles at play today, what does feel difficult is how tiny I seem in the grand scheme of things. I can't help but wonder, what's my role in all of this besides do my best and wait it out? Then I remembered that Buddhism also teaches about the interconnectedness of life. One thing, uh, the virus started out in one place, but now it's all over the world. So it's very clear how interconnected we globally are. And this virus is causing us to distance ourselves from others physically. And at a time like this, we come to really truly appreciate the presence of others and our connection with others. And uh, so our interconnectedness can manifest both in a positive or negative way. And our peace movement, our SGI peace movement, is to bring positivity and to spread hope and happiness to everyone and using this interconnectedness. And Nichiren Daishonin says, one is the mother of 10,000. So as Buddhists, we believe that one person is extremely precious and holds infinite uh, potential. We also believe that one person can give tremendous impact to other people. We've been really uh, fracturing as a society. Um, one author says that we live in a comfort economy. In other words, everything we do is for our enjoyment, it serves our enjoyment. And that this generation has not experienced something on the collective level that literally is a challenge to that. In other words, in over a hundred years, the Great Depression may be the last example where the whole world or even great countries, great societies really face these ills together. And also it cuts across all socioeconomic levels. 
And so I turned to President Keita, uh, my mentor. So in 1996, he gave an address to the Columbia University's Teachers College, and he shared these essential qualities of a global citizen. The wisdom to perceive the interconnectedness of all life and living, the courage not to fear or deny difference, and the compassion to maintain an imaginative empathy that reaches beyond one's immediate surroundings and extends to those suffering in distant places. And he offers that as a model of such global citizens is the bodhisattva, which is a Sanskrit term, which means that you care not just for your own, your own sake, but for others. You realize that together we win. Related to this point, on June 5, 2018, Daisaku Ikeda and Nobel Peace Prize laureate Adolfo Perez Esquivel released a joint appeal titled To the Youth of the World, an Appeal for Resilience and Hope. Part of it reads, There is a worrying trend in society, the extreme and unbridled ambition for power and wealth that embodies the belief that it should be possible to obtain all things quickly and easily. Eastern philosophy teaches that such benightedness is generated by three negative impulses. Greed, driven by runaway egotism. Anger, that gives rise to hatred and conflict with others. And ignorance, that causes us to lose our sense of direction in life and society. Mahatma Gandhi urged people to evaluate their words and actions by reflecting on the impact they could have on others bringing to mind the faces of the poorest and most vulnerable among us. Gandhi was convinced that each society should develop, keeping in mind the welfare of the most disadvantaged, never abandoning anyone. I myself am not a young person. I'm uh, in my 50s. But I do believe that youthfulness is a characteristic that's beyond, beyond age. And I believe that a definition of youth is someone who has great hope and energy and has goals for the future, how they're going to, how uh, we'll contribute to the world. And I believe that that is the key, is not to be burdened and be overwhelmed with what's happening, but to start to take steps, even baby steps, towards really transforming our own state of mind. Which brings us to the second question we're addressing today. If Buddhism teaches that the root cause of such calamities are the negative impulses within human life, what can we specifically do right here and right now in our own small corner of the world to counter them? Personally, I've been spending my days working, staying in touch with family and friends, and keeping up with the news. But a few weeks ago, SGI introduced a campaign for our social distancing period called ABC, which suggested that we each in our own homes every day, A, chant Namyo Horenge Kyo abundantly to manifest our inner courage, compassion, and wisdom on a daily basis, B, engage in Buddhist study to gain a deeper understanding of how to apply these principles to our situations, and C, connect life to life, not only with our loved ones, but with everyone in our communities, and be a source of care, encouragement, and support for each other. When you're stressed out, these are not things you want to naturally do. But I've been doing my best to practice them, and the result has been incredible. Not only am I able to navigate my own work and my family's decisions with more wisdom and energy, but I also feel a lot of hope, 
More hope than I felt when life was going okay and I could more easily ignore my challenges. There is a saying in Japan. Um, my friend in Japan recently um, texted me um, worrying because I'm in the United States where the coronavirus is spreading. And um, she said that um, when the wind blows, you see the strength of the grass. And so applying to ourselves, you know, when these obstacles come, that's when our strength is tested. And in order to remain strong, that's why we practice this Buddhism. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my dad's a retired neurosurgeon and uh, he grew up in the South. Believe it or not, he picked cotton. And he was the second person in the family either side ever to graduate high school. But he always said this, when he was growing up, his grandfather told him, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And, you know, there's some something to that, in that, uh, you know, things are invariably going to be tough at some point. But that's when our best comes out. If you think about the advances that have been made over the history of humankind, they've always been made in very difficult times, right? It's never been made in times of just great pleasure and ease. It's always overcoming something. Naturally, there are some that will see only the limitations and the barriers and the constraints, but there will always be those that choose otherwise. And I would like to think that we can all make that choice. As I've been trying to apply this philosophy to my daily life, I've noticed a few things. Initially, before the media and government began paying attention to COVID-19 at the scale it is now, people who were exercising caution and preparing to socially isolate were judged as panickers. Learning about foolishness as something that poisons our life and limits our wisdom made me realize that unless we're able to clearly establish our values, we end up spending our lives reacting to short-term phenomena in a short-sighted way. For example, at work, if I know what contribution I want to make, I'm not swayed by the day-to-day -day happenings around me. But if I don't know why I'm there, the things that happen every day and what other people say and do will sway me. In other words, having a clear sense of purpose and chanting to strengthen it day by day can protect me from my own inner negativities and weaknesses. I mean, most of the time people that, that my friends or like other colleagues are reaching out or even my, like, even my partner, it's been like just lots of fear. Um, and everyone's just like continuously looking at like the different like graphs of like the increase and um, they're like reading it from a perspective of only a frame of mind of fear instead of looking at it as like, okay, this is just information. Like, how do I continue in terms of like achieving clarity within myself about kind of answering that question, are we overreacting or what, you know, are we being too extreme? There was actually um, some encouragement from SGI president Ikeda in a dialogue that he had with several medical professionals. But the dialogue that they have seems extremely, extremely relevant to this time. And it, it really helped clarify things for me. So if I can, I wanted to share a portion of it. And for context, they're talking about the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918, 
which actually killed millions and millions of people around the world. And so in that context, they're talking about careful preparation and precautions being kind of like the cornerstone of being able to protect life in, in the midst of a pandemic, essentially. So President Ikeda says, in far too many instances, accidents arise out of the arrogance or carelessness of thinking somehow we'll be okay and that misfortune only befalls others. That's why it's important to always be alert and be firmly resolved to take precautions against illness or injury. And then they go on to talk about um, this one small American town uh, where the town school teacher took really, really swift and decisive action to protect everybody in the town during the, the Spanish flu uh, outbreak. He developed a unique quarantine system for the town. Um, he shared accurate information about sanitation, um, about how to not catch you know, the flu. And as a result, um, he was able to keep the epidemic away from their town, 18 miles away from their town, from the border, and no one succumbed to the Spanish flu in his town. And so after their discussion of this anecdote, President Ikeda says, it was a victory derived from the teacher's unyielding determination and strong sense of responsibility to protect the town and the children. The section continues. One person of solid commitment is stronger than 10,000. The important thing is to have a constant sense of how to respond in a crisis and to prepare thoroughly in advance. If we casually presume that somehow things will work out, we're already doomed. Such precautions as gargling and washing one's hands may seem like little things, but it's just those little things that are important. It's a mistake to minimize or overlook them. Reading this made me realize, by the same token, generating hope amidst crisis is a decision we get to make. It's only natural that we get discouraged or hopeless at this time of uncertainty, but Buddhism teaches that even at the darkest moments, we can bring forth hope from within our lives, which we call Buddhahood. And Buddhahood is like the sunshine that illuminates all darkness and all negativities. And by chanting, we can bring forth unlimited hope, the sunshine from within our lives. Naoko also told me the story of a woman who's very new to chanting and has been sharing with her that despite the coronavirus situation, she's been able to remain calm and maintain a positive life condition to encourage her friend who struggles with depression rather than being influenced by the depression. Practically speaking, these are spheres in which each of us have tremendous influence that can create ripple effects, which answers the question of how to support the people around us who are also feeling anxious. Our voice does the Buddhist work, so we want to share that hope and conviction with others. And um, Nichiren Daishonin says, even a feeble person will not stumble if those supporting him are strong, but a person of considerable strength when alone may fall down on an uneven path. And I truly believe in these words. Even one phone call can brighten up a person's life. This is a time to reach out, especially those who might be struggling all alone. And when we do our best to give hope to others, we ourselves will gain hope. 
I'd like to end by sharing something one young woman I practice with who lives on Staten Island shared with me. She said, inevitably, this is going to end and we will all resume life in some way. And at that time, there will be people who just survived and there will be people who were victorious. I want to be one of the people that were victorious. Her words really shook me and reminded me of the teaching that Buddhism is about winning, which appears in many of Nichiren's writings. Here is an explanation from a recent Buddhist article. It is expressed in many different ways, but perhaps most clearly and succinctly in The Hero of the World, a letter addressed to Shijo Kengo, where the Daishonin writes, Buddhism primarily concerns itself with victory or defeat. Quoting this passage, Soka Gakkai founding president Tsunesaburo Makiguchi said that achieving actual proof is the very life of religion. Both Buddhism and life are a struggle to be victorious. It is no exaggeration to say that Buddhism was taught to enable all people to win in the most fundamental struggle of life, the struggle between the Buddha nature and devilish functions. Either we vanquish devilish functions and attain Buddhahood or we are defeated by them and lead lives of delusion. Ultimately, the purpose of our Buddhist practice is to realize victory in this crucial struggle. So I asked everyone, what would make you feel victorious through this time, rather than just having survived it? For me personally, it means that first and foremost, no one in my family succumbs to this. No one, none of my friends succumb to this. Um, it means that everybody survives this. You know that. I mean, I, I can't. Again, as a father and as someone who's deeply concerned about his parents and about older friends, and so I'm really, really chanting that real, profound change can emerge from this, and that's going to happen if if people themselves can change and can re-emerge from this and be have a new vision for what could be possible in terms of how we organize ourselves as a society. I should add that just last week, after we'd recorded the episode, Nathan called to tell me that he got his dream job at a university. There's been a lot of those like, okay, we already know all of as much as we know, we just don't know when it's gonna end. Like, it's just so, it's so clear the difference of people who are like followers of Buddhism and people who are actual practitioners of Buddhism. And like, I think that the people who are like genuinely practicing are looking to like use this as an opportunity to like shift deep, like deep rooted discomfort. And I think other people are really seeking like, how can I just feel okay? And I think that that's kind of the shift that I'm realizing like, wow, like we really need to have these kinds of dialogues to start planting even like a different seed of like you shouldn't have to survive in your life. Like you can own it and like shift it no matter what's happening. Especially with my students, right? No matter how difficult it is, like if I can keep having that hope that I can create something and create value in that those difficulties, then I don't, I guess it comes to a point where like I don't need a deadline for it because that's how I want to live every day. In the morning, it's very important that I have a clear goal of what I want to accomplish today. 
and for me it includes about my children <laughs> about my children as well uh, make sure that they read they study not just play I want them to really play uh, but really study so uh, in terms of my work as well I have a clear goal each morning this is what I'm going to accomplish and also as many of our SGI friends are doing I have a goal of who I want to encourage through my phone calls one by one um, especially thinking about people who are ill or you know who have depression from the beginning you know I really focus I'm really focusing on reaching out to these people and um, you know to give hope to them and seeing them have gained hope this will be bringing my, me a victory that's how I feel I'll leave you today with these words from a message that SGI President Daisaku Ikeda, who's currently 92 and lives in Japan, recently shared with practitioners around the world, titled, Become Pioneers of a Better Age, in which he directly addresses the COVID-19 pandemic. He ends with these words, As we continue to triumphantly overcome each difficulty arising in our path, let us extend throughout the world an ever-growing movement to unlock the life state of Buddhahood, the highest life state of all humankind. We'll resume our planned episodes next month, beginning with what Buddhism says about parenting. As always, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at podcast at sgi-usa.org.